Welcome to a Whatever Wednesday on Data Access Golf, where we are going to get caught up on everything that's gone on over the last week of golf. Let's tee it up. Welcome to Data Access Golf, your home for rapid golf improvement. And now, from the thin air of the Rocky Mountains, next on the number one tee, your host, Aaron Stewart. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Data Access Golf, the podcast. Thanks for joining us once again. Yeah, I, I've been trying to frame out how to do these podcasts to make them helpful and interesting and all that. And so trying to come up with themes for every day has been difficult. Um, I'm not that smart. So I've been trying to work through that and figured out kind of, uh, well, last week, Obviously, only got a few podcasts up. I was out at a conference. My wife came with me, and so I'd go to the conference, and I'd do all that stuff, and then I'd come back, and I just love hanging out with her and being with her, and so I didn't want to do podcasts or anything else, and so we'd just go out, hang out together, and be together, and so it was fun. It was kind of fun to be away, and not that I didn't miss the podcast and miss talking about golf, but I didn't do a whole lot of it last week, that's for sure. And what's happened then is all these really cool stories and fun stories that have come across the wire have sort of been uh, just sitting there. I haven't had time to talk about them. Some questions have come in. I haven't been able to talk about those. And so I wanted to use Wednesdays then. Wednesday kind of a good day, right? You've got people practicing um, the pro-am rounds or whatever. And so there's just not a lot going on. We've had a couple days to process the win that occurred. Some stories seem to pop up. So Wednesdays seem to be a really good day to sort of catch up on everything that's kind of shaken out since the end of the tournament. So I'm going to name these whatever Wednesdays, and we're just going to go on whatever topics there are um, concerning golf. So I wanted to jump in and get a few going. The first thing, I, I'm really fast. This, the change of the schedule has really made, the Honda has always been really awesome, right? The Bear Trap, it's a tough course, really fun to watch. That is one of the courses that's super fun to watch the pros sort of navigate their way around. And so to see now that, the field has been hurt dramatically over the changes to the schedule with the players being moved up, you know, into this part of the season, into March, changes things up, condensing the season, you know, to not com compete with football. And so it's been, it's different. I know that there's just some growing pains here and, and we're trying to make the adjustment, but it's tough to see the Honda take a hit like this, where you've only got three of the top 20 in the world participating in this tournament. So that's, it's been kind of tough to see. Um, hopefully, as the players get to sort of understand the schedule and, and get more comfortable with it, we'll see that change. I think that it's just sort of a, it's just kind of a one-year deal, anomaly, if you will. So we'll see if we kind of get through this and see the Honda kind of return to form next year. If we could get, you know, 10 out of the top 20, then that would change things dramatically. Obviously, it's just so compressed. It's going to, some tournaments are going to get hurt by it. So definitely kind of the first, um, you've got what, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler are going to be there. Those are kind of the two biggest names. Those are the only two in the top 10. See how that goes and see how that shakes out. And then I was fascinated by a couple things. I'm not a, I don't know what to think of Rory McIlroy. His, his talent is indescribable. His ability to move a golf ball for such a small frame, indescribable. I mean, his ability to, to, to move it is, is incredible. I think that his tempo, his golf swing, super amazing. His um, putting struggles are infamous and historic. 
And even, I mean, even looking at his stats from last week, they kind of tailor-made put out this little thing that based on strokes gained, you know, from the tee, Dustin and Rory led the field, which makes sense that they kind of ran away from the rest of the field. But it was interesting to know, and Rory led strokes gained from the tee, I mean, tee to green, he led all, he led everybody. But he only picked up 0.49 in strokes game putting, right? Half a stroke on the field. So, which ranked him, I think, 49th or 50th right in there, maybe 42nd, somewhere in there. So not really good putting week for him, but he hit the ball so well that he was right, you know, as close to, as anybody to Dustin Johnson, who just blitzed the field, right? So, so I've always been sort of interested by his game, and I've never really been able to figure out why he has such a hard time putting. And that's still a mystery. I think all of my, I heard that he's working with, with Brad Faxon now, which has got to help. Always loved his putting stroke. So we'll see. But so this sort of weirdness with Rory McIlroy is kind of a, you know, he says some things and he's kind of outspoken. And, you know, when he's on the Ryder Cup, he's kind of got that attitude, like that whole thing with, with Patrick Reed, I didn't really like. And so there's, I just kind of have a bad taste in my mouth sometimes with Rory McIlroy um, it, whenever a player gets married, I soften up a little bit on him. So definitely softened up a little bit there, but there's a story where he kind of came off 18. He's signing autographs. And I, I hope all of you guys saw this. It was amazing. There was two kids there in the gallery. One was just dressed up like Rory McIlroy and one was dressed, dressed up like Ricky Fowler. And the one dressed up like Rory McIlroy was bawling because Rory didn't win. And much to Rory's credit, he was consoling this poor little boy saying, dude, it's all right. I didn't win, you know. I, I don't win more than I win. So I'm okay with that. But he, he, he took the time to take these two back, signed shoes for him, gave it to him, spent some time, took pictures with them. And I, you know, Roy McElroy just took a huge step forward in my mind. So well done, Roy McElroy. That was very cool. And then so this morning I got up and was kind of going through and looking at whatever we could talk about here on Whatever Wednesday. And I saw that there's this article where Rory's hometown paper has now destroyed him over the facts that he over the fact that he is um, skipping the Irish Open, and I was sort of dumbfounded by this. And Rory lays out a pretty convincing argument why he has to miss it. That he just, in order for him to play well on really at Port Rush, right where his backyard, his home course, essentially where he feels at home. And where he believes that if he was able to win the British Open, not the Open, the British Open there at Port Rush, Royal Port Rush, that would be the ultimate for him. That would be the ultimate win. To win the British Open at Royal Port Rush would be it for him. So in order to do that, in order to make sure that he is best prepared to perform well, he needs to take a week off. And so he's going to do that with the Irish Open. And man, they destroyed him. And that was his home paper. So he is getting no love from home. I, I don't know if they take great offense to the fact that he's a full-time PGA Tour player now. Um, I don't know. That he's taken residence here in the United States. I don't know. But they lit him up. Something fierce. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, definitely something's come out with uh, <clears throat> Chambly, <clears throat> Brandel Chambly against Tiger and his strategy for playing the course. Completely uninterested. Skipping that totally. No thank you. Not worth it. Really cool story about, so we've got these Monday qualifiers. And Monday qualifiers are brutal. And they talked about one from this David Pastor, or Pastore, I don't know how they pronounce his last name. And it was written up, it was a very short article about it, but it's, it's fascinating. He has played in, 
He has played in two previous PGA Tour events. He now plays on the Web.com Tour. And he came up to qualify, Monday qualify, to play in the Honda. And again, with such a weak field, you'd think that this is a pretty good opportunity. Well, he goes out, and they say that he went to the the Waste Management Open and shot a, a 67, didn't even sniff it. I mean, didn't even come close to Monday qualifying. That's how difficult these Monday qualifiers are. Well, he shot a 66, and that put him in a tie with seven players for two spots, right? A seven for two playoff, and so they go out right on 10. He murders a drive. It's a par five. He murders a drive, and he hits it to like two feet for an eagle, right? He makes that putt. He's in. He's one of the two. He misses the putt, and if you watch the video, it is brutal. He puts it by, I mean, he's got a longer putt coming back than he had for Eagle, and he's going to putt it, and he has to back off and gather gather himself, gain some com- composure, and then rolls that one dead center and goes on. Fortunately, they don't really go into whether somebody else eagled or not, but you know that four moved on. So I don't know if it was a four for two playoff at that point, or if it was a four for one, like somebody else eagled But definitely you had seven and now there's four going on. So three are out. So either one got an eagle and qualified and two others had bogeys and were uh, two had pars and were gone or they all had pars and were gone. But either either case, they just went on to say they went and played uh, 18 um, and everybody kind of pushed and then they go and, and then they play this third hole. And I can't remember which hole it was, but it's a par five. And again, this David Hits a great drive, hits it onto the green, for, and has eagle. And this one's probably 12, 15 feet. He buries that one to qualify. So he will be playing in the Honda Open. It's his third tournament on the PGA Tour. He's a graduate of Virginia, I believe. So good luck to him. I mean, that was it went from heartbreaking. I don't know how you manage your emotions like that. You could tell that he was upset. So just bravo to, to David for keeping his composure and going back out there and performing and getting in with an eagle is, uh, is awesome. Really amazing. Great, great story. Just a super feel good story. And so I was, I was really excited to talk about that. And then the final thing, backstopping. Okay. This has blown into something that I don't understand. I, I have this, I have this worry that people who come into golf and try to check golf out, and we've got this opportunity, right? Tiger's back, and Tiger seems to bring new eyeballs into the game. Well, if new eyeballs are coming into the game, and all we're talking about is backstopping, we've got a problem. If, if golf is so uninteresting to the media, and or if the media has no idea what golf is about, and this is the only thing they can come up with, then we're in trouble. We've got to be able to talk about more than this whether it's instruction or equipment or the, uh, the players or whatever, the weather, anything but backstopping. What a terrible topic. And cheating and is it and whatever. When you watch the video and you listen to these, um, these professionals, there was no collusion. They were trying to speed up play and it happened to work out. Who cares? Protecting the field? Oh, it... I don't know the statistics on this, but I'm guessing that backstopping is not a big factor in the outcome of any tournament period ever done. I I just, if you go through the course of history, 
it's not that big of a deal. Okay, and, and, and they talk about the rules and protecting. Well, you know, the rules of golf have changed a lot recently. I mean, there used to be, back in the, I think 1744, when the first, first rules of golf were written, uh, there was a strategy called st- putting somebody in stymie, where you'd stymie somebody, you, where you'd purposely put your ball between their ball and the hole, and so they had to either go over the top of you or slice or hook a putt around you in order to make a putt. Well, that rule went away somewhere in the 1950s or whatever, but for 200 years or something, stymie was on the books. Originally, it was on the books all the way for, for all play, even stroke play and match play. They then backed it off, and it went for just match play all the way to 1950 or something. I mean, Ben Hogan was dealing with stymies, and we changed that rule. It just seems so ridiculous to, to assume that backstopping has that big of an effect on the outcome of a tournament. So let's quit talking about it. There was no collusion. They did nothing wrong. It's actually, unless they collude, unless they talk about it, and use it as a strategy, it's not even against the rules. Right? And there was absolutely none of it. And I don't know anybody who would, because the, the rule is if you collude, then both players are disqualified. So who would do that? Now, is there an unwritten rule? I know Jimmy Walker came out and said, yeah, there's an unwritten rule. We wink at each other and do whatever. Uh, is that collusion? Uh, maybe, I don't know. Is winking at somebody kind of a, a nod? Is that, is that enough to say they colluded? I, I don't know. Would that hold up in a court of law? I don't know. But my gosh, it is such a little aspect of the game. I cannot believe that people have gone crazy. I can't believe I'm talking about it. Let's just dump this thing and be done with it. And over. Backstopping is done. Over. Please, no more. I'm never going to talk about it again. Unless I do. Right? So that's it. And then the last thing I wanted to do is, so my mentor, obviously, is Fred Shoemaker. Fred Shoemaker is a very quiet, unassuming, brilliant man. He will never self-promote. The man won't do it. I mean, if, if people knew how brilliant he was, if, if people took time to research who he was and got on YouTube and watched some of his interviews and read his books and bought his video series, you would be blown away at his golf knowledge. Even to start there. But when you sit in a room with the guy and ask him questions and talk golf and talk life and talk philosophy and talk whatever, the man just is so well-versed in so many areas that it's, it's beautiful. So what I've started to do to try to help people understand who Fred Shoemaker is, and again, I think that's a responsibility of a disciple, is to tout the people, the shoulders of the people who you're standing apart. I don't know if that's my academic background where we use uh, the research of others to propel our own careers and our own research ahead. But that's what's going on here. Fred Shoemaker is everything to me in my golf game and, and what I know about golf, what I've learned about golf, what I am now able to share about golf, all comes from him, stems from him. He is, he is the root of this of all of this. And so I wanted to do something, something to somehow or another uh, pay back or pay tribute to him and what he's done for me. So as I've gone through and read his books and uh, watched the videos, completely selfishly, I've written down little quotes and comments that he said to me either on the practice tee or in um, when we're in groups discussing golf or even from his videos. I've just written down these little statements. And so this is now what I'm going to call Fred Says. Right, Fred says. So I'm just going to share with you some 
occasionally I'll share a quote or something that he taught me or has taught somebody else and I happen to listen in and we'll just see. So this is the one that I um, love and I'm going to leave this with you now. This is a quote from Fred. I don't know where, I, I haven't written down where I got these. It's either from a video, a, a, a podcast interview, uh, from his book, from his videos, whatever. I just write down kind of things Fred says, right? So Fred says is the, is the thing. So this is something that really helped me and still helps me from Fred Shoemaker. And I quote, how can you possibly change something that you don't experience? And as we equate that to golf, the meaning is if, if you don't know where your club face is in your backswing, how can you make that right? How can you be square at impact if you don't know where it is in your backswing? If, if you don't know what you're doing with your balance, how can you change it? If you don't know anything about your golf swing, how can it improve? And so if we're not experiencing that motion, that movement, if we're not experiencing and learning about how we do things, there's very little chance that we're going to be able to change and that it's going to be lasting change. So again, how can you possibly change something that you don't experience? So when we are out practicing and working our game, make sure that we're staying with what we're, what we're feeling, what we're experiencing. That is where learning occurs. You can't get all caught up in making yourself do stuff in your head and thinking about stuff in your head and having that dialogue in your head and then expect to get anywhere um, with golf. And that reminds me of one other quote. I'll tie in really quickly. I only wanted to do one at a time, but this ties into what we're just talking about. Again, quote from Fred Shoemaker. Fred says, part two, quote, golf is physical. The problem is we make it mental. Boom. Brilliance. Brilliance. Golf is a physical game. We, we move our bodies. We hold on to a physical club. We hit a physical ball that's going down a physical fairway that we're going to walk down and we're going to putt on a physical green and put it into a physical hole. Golf is physical. But we hear so much about golf being mental. And so that means sometimes we, we equate that to mean we have to think about golf and we have to make our bodies do things and we have to whatever. And we don't. We just have to let it be physical. We have to let our bodies and what we do naturally, do it well. And when we do that, we, do, we actually we will perform to the best of our natural abilities. And our natural abilities will always be better than anything we can try to do mentally to control a physical act. Because physically, we do things all the time without thinking about them. But somehow or another in golf, we think by thinking about them and making ourselves do something, we are going to somehow or another perform better. And, and it just is what Fred terms interference. It doesn't work. Golf ha- the, a golf swing happens too quickly and is too complicated for us to try to control it with our conscious mind. So stop trying. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work well that way. So something to think about in this first Fred Says segment, and I've got probably a hundred of them. So we'll see how it goes. But anyway... Thank you for joining us today. Hopefully that was helpful on it. Well, not helpful. I mean, it was a whatever Wednesday. So whatever that was for you, hopefully it was whatever you needed out of it, right? Whatever you needed out of this whatever Wednesday, I hope that's whatever you got. Thanks for listening. And remember, better data always means better golf. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Data Access Golf with Aaron Stewart. Check us out online at dataaccessgolf.com. And we'll see you on the next episode.